All right, and welcome to another episode of the Guys with Feelings podcast, where two guys discuss the ideas, influences, epiphanies, and yes, the feelings that make them better men. My name is Jamin Yee. I'm Gabe Rose. And today, uh, we're going to switch things up a bit and bring on our first ever guest with feelings. Uh, we are very excited to have this guest uh, with so many feelings, uh, our dear friend, Alex Zobel, um, one of our oldest friends, uh, both Jamin and I. Uh, Alex is the person uh, that both of us have always really turned to. Um, we needed a perspective that's smart, grounded, and always going to make us think twice or, mm-hmm. or maybe three times. Um, Alex has always been an inspiration for us in our ongoing journey to help us become better, more conscious guys. And um, we couldn't think of a better guest to have uh, on our first ever guest show. Totally. And with Alex, what's interesting is she is truly a modern day Renaissance woman. You know, a lot of people say that I'm a modern day Renaissance person, but, but she's a real deal. She has a PhD in 16th century English literature, teaches inmates at San Quentin, is opening a brewery with her brother and their award-winning beer, lives on an eco-village complete with goats and chickens. No chickens. No chickens? You always do that. You, you just got a chicken, I thought. <laughs> well, it's gone now. Oh, uh, okay. Soon to be a chicken. Uh, <laughs> Temporary is, chickens. Is building her own tiny home and is also a kick-ass social justice activist and ally. So, yeah, Alex, how was that? Oh, man, I'm so flattered. And I definitely feel myself going into self-effacement mode, but um, I'm going to try to own it. Those are really sweet thoughts. Um, you two both inspire me so much, and I'm very honored to be your first guest, and I hope I don't vomit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't have guessed the one thing we'd get wrong on the intro was the chicken. The chickens. That's like really, uh, uh, the chicken, like They the always get joke. me yeah, every yeah. time. You have to get chickens now. I know, obviously. We have a chicken coop. We're all set up for chickens. Oh, yeah. but just no chickens happen. in the coop. Not yet. Okay, yeah. careful raccoons. I hear they're, <laughs> yeah. they're out there. And and it's kind of fun. Uh, So we're all old high school friends. We're all out here in Napa right now celebrating our birthdays. Mm -hmm. Zobel's was yesterday and mine is tonight at midnight. And we're turning a collective 62 62. years. 62. Yeah. We did it. We We did it. it. Happy birthday to both of you. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Um, So, yeah, before we get into the show today, uh, we just want to take a moment and and, uh, say a few words about a good old friend of ours from high school, uh, Nick Sears who passed away this week and lost uh, a long and difficult struggle with mental illness. Yeah, Nick was um, one of our closest friends and sort of a big part of our our, um, our high school community and, and our, our um, community beyond that. We just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge him and, um, yeah, just like offer our, our supports and thoughts. Um, he's in our memory and... Um, Definitely want to remind everyone out there that's either struggling with mental illness themselves or has friends and family struggling with it to do whatever you can to reach out, ask for help, and remember that that you're not alone. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Don't be afraid to talk about it. Like, yeah. talk about it, ask for help. Like, it, it, yeah, and if, if you have a friend you're worried about, like, get involved. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Okay. So um, for this episode, we're going to start with a, with a Guys with Feelings interview of our guest, Alex Sobel. And then we'll finish off with our rapid fire quick picks where we share the top things that we've been recommending or obsessing over during the past month. So yeah, let's kick this off with the interview. Great. So, um, so Alex, one reason we were excited to have you on the show today was to talk about um, like what it's like to be what we would call a modern day <laughs> Renaissance person. So I'm curious, um, like to what extent you have so many different interests, passions, jobs that, that you're pursuing. Um, I'm curious to what extent you feel like you were always this way where you had like a lot of different things going on or that developed over time. And if it developed over time, sort of what do you think helped lead to that? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, I think, to be honest, I'm not sure that I even identify as a Renaissance human, um, but I'm totally flattered by it. Um, I definitely have always had lots of interests. You two are like this too. Lots of different interests, lots of different networks that help you sort of plug into those interests. Um, but I do think uh, maybe like a major shift for me was during college. I found myself gravitating towards the liberal arts, the humanities, which tends to be a very sort of broad-based approach to learning, learning the transferable skills that can be applied to a variety of different situations rather than, you know, trades and vocations and uh, methodologies that are much more limited in their application. So, yeah, so I think I think college was a big one for me, um, <laughs> so, of course. Of course. Um, but then, you know, I found myself um, – I also like to do the deep dive, right? And that this is a classic tension for me between trying to get the breadth that's going to satisfy all my diverse interests and wanting to feel like I'm doing justice to all those interests. 
So I went to graduate school and did the total deep dive into my little tiny corner of uh, the 16th and 17th century. Mm-hmm. And I think you you are both catching me right now at a very expansive moment. I am <laughs> um, definitely reacting to uh, my my like deep narrow studies as a graduate student. And now that I'm free, I have the the time, the ability, the bandwidth. I don't have a lot of money, but I have a lot of the other things that I'm privileged to have that make it possible for me to explore a lot of these different these different interests of mine. So you would say, like, you think diving? You talked about like transferable skills and mm-hmm. and the sort of like background that your education, sort of a broad liberal arts education, helped give you to apply to other things. Like, are there any examples of ways that your English literature work and studies and liberal arts education helped you to say start the brewery and learn how to brew beer. Like, are there any like through lines you can draw there that sort of maybe people wouldn't expect? Oh, geez, maybe. I mean, so like the logo for the brewery is taken straight out of the 17th century archive. There you go. So that was easily the most useful part of my you know seven years, my my twenties in graduate school. Um, it's a good logo. It's a good logo. Yeah. I mean, uh, I guess one of the things that I love about the brewery project is it allows me to do so many different things to use so many different skill sets um, all towards you know the end of advancing the the business so I get to do some writing some days which is great and that's like an obvious sort of connection point with my uh, literary studies lots of writing obviously um, I also did a lot of uh, we call it environmental criticism eco-criticism uh, so I definitely did a lot of thinking and writing about uh, sustainability environmentalism um, cultural constructions of nature and science um, and those values really um, still, uh, are applicable to the brewing process. I mean, brewing is really a water-intensive, resource-intensive practice um, rooted in agriculture. Uh, and so I bring, I bring like an awareness of, uh, of the, the resources and the energy that goes into the brewing process with me. And I don't think a lot of brewers have that perspective. You know, they're, they're thinking about the beer in the glass. They're not thinking about the, um, you know, agricultural networks, the transportation networks that make, you know, just getting the raw ingredients to the brewery possible. So yeah, there's there's some things, but I'm I'm really like stretching to answer that question. I, <laughs> honestly, I don't see a lot of like point of connection, and this is one of those things where I don't think you have to um, to be like a you know actualized content human. I don't think you have to um, bring all your interests together into like the rubric of it tends to be like your vocation, right. your work. You don't have to get all the satisfaction from that. Um, yeah, I feel like there's like there's this thinking that in our culture you have to like you must dive deep in one thing and become like the fucking best at it and mm-hmm. like and that the mastery is the goal you right um, and I don't know I feel like that hasn't been true for any of us yeah. <laughs> I feel like oh, yeah. at least the three of us here like we've loved diving into just all sorts of different vocations different interests um and i i do feel like i mean it's maybe it's hard to quantify but i do feel like they enrich the others and you bring different perspectives to the others and it's just more fun mm-hmm. like way more fun. i mean i don't know master achieving mastery in one thing doesn't even sound that interesting to me i also think it can be a serious roadblock if you um if you do the deep dive if you master a subject master the vocabulary if you have like your little piece of intellectual or business real estate so clearly defined you tend to lose the vocabulary for talking about it with other people Mm -hmm. so i encountered this all the time obviously in academia where it's like you know i'm writing about environmental issues but it's at such a a rarefied high level or it's about something so small Mm -hmm. uh that it's uh, it's not transferable to to other groups and if you're not able to participate in a discourse beyond your little tiny community, your little echo chamber, right. you're really not, you know, doing your, the cause you believe in any right. favors. How helpful is it to the greater community of the world? If right? you can't have a conversation. Right. Yeah. Have you been, so I know you've started teaching more recently of the mm-hmm. classes at San Quentin, and then you have a community college class. Have you found that like teaching a few classes has helped sort of bridge the, that ability to be deep in your subject of expertise, but also have it be accessible and conversational with others? Absolutely. I mean, Nothing, nothing crystallizes my own thinking for me like teaching. Mm. Um, and that's partly because I have got, you know, at any given time, like 25 other humans to bounce these ideas off of, but also because it forces me to think like as clearly as possible to not try to obscure my meeting with, you know, crazy big words. It's, it's, a, it's an exercise in communication and it's really important. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, definitely. I, I love teaching. Teaching makes it real for me. It's definitely where I derive all the value in in most of my life is, is through the classroom. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, it's going to be a struggle for me. Yeah. Figuring out how to keep that as a part of my life while, while doing the brewery thing, while trying to get a business off the ground. Yeah. That's going to be tough. Uh, yeah. Related to teaching, one thing I've been curious about is, I mean, you've definitely done teaching like in the, the Ivory universities and, 
And then you're also teaching prisoners at San Quentin. And like, what is, what's the difference there? What, what is like. And the similarities. Yeah. 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 Um, so I've been lucky to teach at very diverse institutions. Even my most conventional teaching was, you know, at UCLA. Maybe you've heard of it. Um, <laughs> Proud alums. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and UCLA, the whole UC system is incredibly diverse. But um, I think maybe the the key difference that I see at San Quentin, I guess what, what continues to blow my mind about the San Quentin teaching experience is these students um, are totally opted in. Um, that's not always the case, even at the college level. Like a lot of students are only going to college because that's what our society tells us right. or because that's what their parents want. Um, these students are fully opted in in a non-compulsory educational setting. And the wild thing is everything's compulsory in prison, but they, they have to volunteer to like join this program. Mm -hmm. So they want to be there. They're extremely motivated students. It's also pretty wild to think about the fact that most of these students probably had some kind of trauma relating to um, traditional compulsory education in the yeah. past. Um, we talk about the the school to prison pipeline, and that's obviously like a really complicated phenomena that I'm not going to do justice to right now. But um, it's true, and a lot of these a lot of these guys are all guys at San Quentin um, have had really traumatic experiences in the classroom. So they're putting a lot of trust in us to to even be sitting in the chair, to even mm. show up. And that's pretty cool. And then the, the instructors, too, are all volunteer. So it's this completely unique teaching environment where everyone wants to be there. Mm. I wish that's how all teaching was, but that's <laughs> yeah. really not the case. But San Quentin, it is, and it's special. Yeah. It's pretty and you, cool. And you feel the difference when it's like that. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Are there any, were there any uh, sort of like moments or anecdotes or experiences you've had doing that so far that maybe like challenged a preconceived notion that you had or sort of like, mm. uh, sort of like shifted your expectations of what you were going to be able to do? Oh, gosh. I mean, so awesome. many. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Right now, my first thought is um, I was teaching the night of the election. And oh, so, boy. <laughs> and going into San Quentin is a 45-minute procedure. Wow. So, yeah, there's three different checkpoints. <laughs> um, and you have to go through it every time. Like, yep. you, yeah. Okay. Three in and three out. Wow. So from basically, what, 5 to like 8.30, I was, and obviously no cell phones. Right, <laughs> so yeah. I was totally like off, you know, off the grid as it were. Yeah. Um, not knowing what the results were, but I thought I, I thought I would teach something that, um, pertained to enfranchisement because these are, mm. these are guys that have been constitutionally disenfranchised. Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of wanted to hear what their thoughts were on the election. Um, and, uh, I was surprised to learn that they don't care. They, they, they told me the, most of them don't care. I should say that their president is the warden and like, that's wow. what structures their mm. whole experience. And they don't, they don't care. Hillary, Trump, Jill Stein, whatever. Um, and I, I was, I was surprised to hear that. Um, I also, that was a, just an incredibly like ironic moment because I found myself explaining the ins and outs of the electoral college to these folks. And, uh, of course the electoral college had a, such a huge outcome yeah. on the election. But yeah. yeah. It was totally, totally rife with irony for me. Yeah. yeah. I can imagine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, uh, I think that I was just listening to this, um, invisibilia podcast about uh on the drive up here about um it was it was talking about in the context of prisoners about like how much um like the ongoing debate about how much people's personalities are static versus can change over time mm -hmm. um and they actually used like some prisoner stories to as part of the argument that people's personalities like do not exist as a fixed thing and, and can change like dramatically over time. But the sort of like key hypothesis they had about this is that like our environments are what like make us who we are, like not any sort of inner personality. Our inner personality is, is mostly an illusion. That's really about like our outward environment. Um, and yeah, just when you, when you mentioned the, the warden is their president, they don't, it yeah. makes perfect sense. Like, right. I think it's like, Oh no, they should care beyond. But like, no, why? You right. know, why? Why would they? Like, and some that's of them so are never coming out, so it's like yeah. it doesn't have much of an impact. Yeah. yeah, right. It really is their entire world, mm -hmm. like right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did have an interesting moment. You know, with a literary backgr background, I tend to to you know read for you know symbolism and figurative language and all that. We were reading Tobias Wolf's short story um, "Bullet in the Brain," and we were you know analyzing some like imagery about like the hot feeling of the bullet going through the flesh and, and what does that mean in the context of the story of what's significant about it. And one guy was just like, "Yo, it's hot when you get shot. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it burns." <laughs> 
It's like, oh, so maybe it's, it's literal. It's not, it's not like a metaphor. Yeah. Way to bring me back. Like, it's, it, that is a, my privileged worldview to think that this is a, like, thematic device and, and not, like, how actually getting shot feels. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Um, that's the value of being able to teach diverse students and the things oh you gosh. can learn from your students, not just, like, impart to them. Mm-hmm. Sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, I'm also curious. So, you know, one thing that Jamie and I talk about a lot is – is the like challenge of getting like starting new endeavors and um and especially like the intimidation that can happen when you're diving into something you've never done before but the reality that a lot of times like the barriers to entry into any new challenge passion hobby job whatever are actually quite a bit lower than we build them up to be in our mind yeah. like i'm wondering like given that you've started a lot of different <laughs> things you you got deep in taking this literature you like taught yourself how to brew beer you're now starting a business around brewing beer like building a tiny home yeah building a tiny home which sounds very intimidating to me no chickens Uh, getting a chicken (laughs) getting a chicken yeah sounds crazy like curious like if that resonates as true for you and if you had any sort of like examples or stories from like when you started from zero what your first steps were and sort of what you took away from the those early stage processes yeah i mean I, again, I think this goes back to my academic life, but when I when I start something new, uh, I tend to get really deep into the literature, into reading about it. I, I have, this is not a great tendency, but I have a tendency to want to read everything before I lift a hand. Uh, and that's that's not the best way to do it. My brother, who I'm opening the brewery with, is exactly the opposite. He <laughs> wants to learn by doing, and he's okay with screwing up many times because he, he feels like he learns faster that way. Hmm. And the balance is probably somewhere in the middle. But I do still, like, I always read. And I, I think of, about you. Like, if you get into something, you also tend to do the deep dive, too. But with you, you reach out and you, like, call someone or email someone, and you join the conversation immediately. Hmm. I definitely worry a lot more about making sure I understand, like, the whole, like, uh, breadth of the yeah, issue yeah. or the, the entire topic. landscape, right? Yeah, but that that um, that can also become like a, a sort of I don't know. It's not armchair activism, but a, a way of paralysis. Yeah, yeah. yeah, a little like procrastination right. on actually getting out there and doing mm-hmm, stuff yeah. for sure. Totally. Yeah, but yeah, I, I tend to read a lot. That's that's how it happens. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I feel like for me, like I don't have like the patience, honestly, to like <laughs> to like do like do like so much of the background reading with a lot of issues. I feel yeah. Like, yeah I don't know. Yeah, I feel like I'm somewhere in in between you guys there. That's like, great. I you feel find like the sweet spot. <laughs> I, you know, yeah. Between the two of you guys, I just always find the sweet spot. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like I, I feel like I, yeah, I dive in and I really want to like understand the whole lay of the land. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, I know I have to do something. I know I have to like start just taking some action mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe I, I tilt a little more towards your brother. Like, yeah, I feel like just like getting in there. Like, it's my favorite way to learn things, whether it's like learning a song, guitar, or trying to learn coding or something. You just have to have like a project and just like go for it. And like, and like, you're going to figure things out like as you go. You yeah, know? you're going to learn by doing. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. <laughs> and what what was it that like called you into so like beer is one of the biggest things happening in your life right now. You're yeah. getting the brew off the ground. Like, can you like tell the story of like what? Like why beer? How beer? Like how, yeah. like how do they, like who it beer? doesn't like yeah who beer like <laughs> when I just like I think if 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 Jamie and I were like thinking back to like Alex Zobel like ten years ago like you becoming a brewmaster was not really what we thought was like probably would have guessed was the path so like yeah just like curious like the origin story of all that yeah uh, I mean I've always loved beer that's a, a good starting point. Um, and really, I can't tell this story without also talking about Gregory, my brother. So he, he's five years younger than me, um, was, I, I think, lucky to have a sister that was into beer. So he didn't have to go through the Natty Light phase and the oh, Light phase wow. and all that. So, yeah, so he got into beer very quickly, didn't waste a lot of time. Um, so I've always loved the taste of beer. Uh, he bought me a homebrew kit for Christmas, I believe. And the only stipulation was that we had to brew it together, which was a really sweet gesture. <laughs> oh, Gregory. Yeah. And if I can get super sentimental, this was uh, this was after we got some bad news about my mom's health. And mm. it was becoming apparent to us that we needed to um, we needed to like shore up our relationship because, you know, your siblings are the people that are hopefully, you know, with you your entire life. Yeah. And we needed to do it for mom. Like we needed to like let her know that we're good. We're not gonna continue like being the warring siblings that we had been growing up. Mm-hmm. Um so we brewed together and then we just like 
caught the caught the fever we couldn't stop like wow. the next time we went to the homebrew supply shop we like upgraded five times bigger the system. <laughs> um i of course started you know reading everything i could listening to all the podcasts most of the podcasts i listened to our beery podcast yeah invisibility sounds great it's on my list it's <laughs> a great one yeah yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, and that's that's kind of how we got into it. And Gregory was always sort of pushing me to do more, to yeah. to get into the brewing, to just you know learn from our mistakes. Um, and I was pushing him to read more and do the, the research. And we actually we bounce <laughs> each, each other, other really out. well. Yeah. yeah, he's definitely the gas. I'm definitely the brakes. And sometimes <laughs> it sucks to play those roles, right, but right, yeah. a lot of times it's really helpful. Yeah. So that's yeah, awesome. And then I saw you know I I saw the writing on the wall as far as academia was concerned a couple of years ago. I realized I didn't want to be um totally siloed in in a very small field i want to do something much broader um and starting a business seemed like it it gave me the opportunity or would give me the opportunity to to work on a lot of different things in the name of the business so yeah that's that's really how it happened we just started growing together started getting jobs in the industry to to kind of hash out what our vision was and what was going to be the mm -hmm. challenges of that vision we were pretty intentional about that yeah and yeah, and then it became your life. And then it consumed you. Life. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's awesome. I yeah. love when when you like get into something and then the passion just takes over mm -hmm. and you just can't stop. You're like, I must know everything about this. I must consume this on my drive when I wake up. Like that is like, I feel like for me, it's like one of like my favorite joys in life. Yeah, and like. And when you that just breathe it, you're, yeah. dream you're dreaming about it. Yeah, and, and when that happens, yeah. you ha you whatever like it's getting in the way, you need to like push that aside and just just chase it, just follow mm -hmm. it. Like it's a signal of your body's being like, yes, that. Let's go. Let's mm -hmm. explore. Love that. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I also feel like you put your finger on such an important like point that I think is easy to miss around um, like the teams and like what makes teams work well. Like obviously you and your brother are just a team of two for now, um, and obviously you have a long way to go to make this thing successful. But that like tension between people um, is just uh, watching the people versus OJ, uh, which I like. <laughs> I'm going to recommend later, uh, probably. <laughs> spoiler, but, um, <laughs> spoiler. Um, but um, man, like the. Uh, that's such that having a way to like have that healthy tension where you're actually like pretty different people with like pretty different instincts, but have strong enough glue, like holding you together. So you actually like work through stuff and like put your disagreements on the table. And then like, mm -hmm. sometimes like you go one way, sometimes you go the other way, but you're always like looking at it from multiple angles because like the different team members actually see the world differently. Mm -hmm. I just feel like I over and over again, find that to be invaluable. Absolutely. A team of rivals kind of action. <laughs> yeah. It just, but, you know, like, I think a lot of times it's really easy for us to just want to work with people that, like, feel like they just, like, think about things like we do because right. there's, like, conflict. But but teams without conflict don't work, mm -hmm. I, I think, by and large. Like, teams with too much conflict don't work either. Right. But, like, it sounds like you and Gregory have found, like, a really healthy, by and large, balance where you can, you can, you, just seeing the world different ways, I feel like, can right. propel you forward so much yeah, quicker. Yeah, Absolutely. It's easy to say that right now. I mean, if we were in the heat of conflict, we'd be like, I hate this. What am I doing? Yeah. What am I doing this with him? But you have to get through that. That's where the growth is. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, just to switch gears a, a tiny bit, um, you know, I've, I've noticed this past year that you've gotten much more like involved in causes and issues that you really care about. And I'm curious, you know, I'd love to hear like what causes shift for you mm -hmm. and and how have you been navigating this shift into being a more political and involved person? Mm, yeah, um, that's interesting. My my first thought was the election, which has activated so many so people. many people. Yeah, yeah, but actually, for me, I think it was starting a little bit before that. I think a lot of it was having the time once grad school ended right. to actually sort of look at the radical ideas that I was sort of espousing in my written work and comparing that to my my life, like what I was showing up for. Um, Black Lives Matter really caught my attention and really moved me. And I started doing a lot of reading um, uh, along those lines and uh, <laughs> discovered the concept of asset mapping. You know, what do I, what are the skills that I have and how can they be used to advance, you know, the causes that I believe in? Huh. Um, almost all of us can carry a sign at a protest and that's really important and we should do that if we can. Um, but a lot of us also have skills that are, that can be more organizationally or strategically used. Um, I, I'm a teacher, like that's the skill that I have. Reading poetry is not like the most, uh, in demand skill for a lot of movements, unfortunately. Um, but teaching is, is a form of activism and, and that's actually how I got involved with San Quentin was thinking about how I could, you know, take some steps to mitigate 
uh, social and racial injustice and the, the criminal justice system is such a, an obvious place to start. Um, I was also surrounded by um, a lot of activists because I moved back up to the Bay Area. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're just kind of in this, you know, the environment sort of constructing you, as you were saying earlier. Right. That's definitely part of it for me. Uh, my housemates are definitely very, um, very engaged politically. And that, that pushes me to engage more, too. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I, I also remember you saying, actually, that um, that you going to Burning Man this year for mm-hmm. the first time actually had an influence yeah. on that. Yeah, Could you sure. speak on that a bit? Well, I think, I think maybe one of the bajillion takeaways from Burning Man for me was, like, just do it. And I'll, mm. I'll never forget the first moment of, like, crawling on something that seems so unsafe and, <laughs> and realizing that I could trust my body to follow, you know, right. that my hand was going to find the right place, my foot was going to find the right place. I was so inspired by Sarah at that moment. That was, that was really helpful. Yeah. Um, just, just to give a little context, this moment, she's talking about uh, Gabe's uh, wife went running. The, there was like this gigantic, was it like a boar? Yeah. I believe gigantic it was a boar. Gigantic yeah. metal boar yeah. just spinning and people are like hanging off it. And it looked like the most dangerous, scary thing. And Sarah was like, I want to go to there. It just ran and just scaled up it. And I, and I think we were like, oh, be careful, be careful. Yeah, everyone was like, look out. She, yeah. she was, she was like, like, I, I got, got this. this. Yeah, yeah, that was I great. can do this. And, like, and, and then Zobel. I was Zobel like, caught. I do too. Yeah. <laughs> First follower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, lessons from giant metal boars. Oh, totally, yeah. <laughs> but it, it um, yeah, it, uh, I feel like some of the roadblocks came down. You mm. know, nothing is forever. You can just try something. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Um, the, you know, teaching at San Quentin, it's just a semester. It's, I hope it's going to stay in my life, you know, into perpetuity. We'll see. Mm-hmm. But, um, just trying it out. Like the, there's like very little risk in trying something out right. and taking a stab at it. So, yeah. Sometimes you just got to climb that bore. You do. You do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like the role of like, you, you actually mentioned this at the, at the very beginning when you were starting, like the role of like social networks and like pulling us into things I think is like um, probably under discussed. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like if I think about almost anything I've gotten involved in, like some other person like that I already knew recruited me into it or like someone else I know, like we decided to do it together. Like I think it's pretty uncommon that people like dive into stuff just like completely on their own and like mm-hmm. go out to a group of strangers, like on their own. I'm curious if that like resonates with you guys. And if so, like, is there ways that we can like, I think that's like a challenge for people getting engaged, but also an opportunity. Like, are, like any thoughts on how we sort of like can like leverage that rather than be stopped by it? Mm, do you have an idea off the top of your head? I, I you know, for me, I, I find it, I, I find it interesting. I feel like, um, I guess for me, I almost feel like my model of change and growth is is very incremental and very like, um, just like, I don't know. Like, I, I almost I believe a lot in just like influencing myself and like knowing that the the changes that come from like my own self-growth and like self-healing and and work I do kind of like will filter out and and directly affect the people I spend the most time with. And, um, and I've actually seen like a lot of real world examples of that, like making like major shifts. And like, I think, um, and, and knowing that those send ripples out as well. And I feel like, I don't know, like I see that as being like an interesting kind of model of change, um, that, that seems to resonate with me in my own life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think I think we're kind of pack animals, and I think it's yeah. I think it's really it's motivating for me to to have a network that is going to propel me to to action. Um, I don't know if it's if it's just kind of groupthink, maybe a positive version of groupthink, but um, I know I I wouldn't be nearly as involved in so many things, Standing Rock, the San Quentin stuff, uh, Black Lives Matter, if if it hadn't been for um, my networks holding me accountable like mm. that's what it is there's like a kind of social pressure there um i don't i don't really think shame is uh is motivating but mm-hmm. i do think um incentivizing action with like some kind of like social carrot is is definitely worthwhile and i don't know how to harness it more i mean facebook yeah. is a pretty good way of doing that but yeah, i don't know yeah yeah and i think and i think there's also a lot of like social inspiration mm-hmm. also um I mean, this is one of our favorite topics, Alex, but like community, like that's yeah. one of the things I find most powerful about community and living in community 
But I, I do feel like just having that influence around you and seeing like the amazing things that people are getting involved with, hearing from different perspectives, like the inspiration that can come from that. And then also the accountability that you guys can share with each other uh, is a pretty powerful force. Um, I've noticed that also just between us as well, like with our friend group, um, especially after like we all went to Burning Man together this year. And there's this way that it brought us closer together. And I think like we all kind of like almost had a bit of like a creative awakening and like and and then taking action and jumping on that board right like yeah. in our normal lives and because we were all linked together and we kept seeing each other and talking to each other and sharing with each other it, it wasn't just like oh i'm feeling like this creative like awakening and that's cool for me like it also echoed to you guys and same with you guys echoing to me and it created yeah. this like feedback loop mm-hmm. and it was just it was exponential yeah mm-hmm. totally yeah it's really cool. And yeah, and, and we got to sort of like continue like carrying some of that energy forward together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm curious. Uh, so you mentioned Standing Rock. You actually, many people might not know, you actually went out to Standing Rock with a group of other folks to help, I think, deliver supplies a few months yeah, ago. Yeah. So I wonder if you just sort of like talk a little bit about that experience and, and what you took away from it. Mm, that was in so many ways like the anti-Burning Man for me mm-hmm. um, in, a, in a really good way too. Um if Burning Man is about radical self-expression, um, showing up to something like Standing Rock is really about um, listening, mm-hmm. <laughs> not radically self-expressing. Right. Um, radical listening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> radical listening. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is that already a thing? No, we, we can coin it. Uh, guys yeah, with yeah. feelings. <laughs> yeah. Trademark. Radical listening. <laughs> radical listening. You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't really like to think of myself as an activist because I don't think I'm like strategically involved in enough action. Um, but allyship is important to me. And I think I learned a lot about how to be an ally, um, out at Standing Rock. Um, I was, it was helpful for me to go to a training beforehand at the place for sustainability in, um, so Oakland or Berkeley. I can't remember. It's right on the border. Um, but they opened up their training with an elders panel and they really emphasize the idea of, um, listening and following, uh, native indigenous leadership when you're out there. A lot of um, allies, and this is, you know, it's not just relating to indigenous rights, but a lot of allies in general, you know, they have great expect, great expectations, but great intentions. Um, and they have great ideas about how they think that they can get things done faster. But especially something like Standing Rock, it's really about privileging the, uh, the indigenous voice. It's about their rights, about mm-hmm. their sovereignty. Um, and if they, you know, so you might come out there and have the skills to build, you know, a structure and repeat it, you know, a hundred times. And then there you go. Everything's winterized and ready to rock. You'll be there all winter. But if that's not what the elders want, if that's not what the indigenous people there want, you can't do it. Mm. Um, so that was, that was a really interesting lesson and in sort of checking my ego, checking my intentions, um, learning how to, to listen to some pretty like hard stuff about, about the settler colonial state and my role in it. Um, I still benefit from settler colonial practices. Um, so that was that has really informed um, my um, ideas about allyship beyond, you know, indigenous rights and sovereignty. Um, I think that probably most clearly came up for me uh, around the Women's March. Uh, there was a, a huge conversation happening about the idea of intersectional feminism um, and that we're not all equally affected by patriarchal uh, structures by the same uh, oppression. Some of us are, you know, doubly, triply oppressed in other ways, depending on our different aspects of our identities. Um, and there was there was some pushback from um, women of color uh, to to the women's march. Um, they they wanted to be listened to. They had been fighting this fight for a long time. They've been oppressed for reasons beyond just their their gender. Um, and uh, and I do think that, you know, like white women need to listen. And it's not it's not a shut up and mm-hmm. sit down. It's just a listen to the other forms of trauma that that intersect with your trauma as mm-hmm. a woman, too. Um, but it creates space for for people that have been in this fight for, for perhaps a lot longer and have perhaps gotten a much you know crappier end of the deal than than we all have. So, yeah, learning how to become an ally that listens, an ally that, that doesn't like foreground their own activism um those are huge takeaways for me at standing rock yeah yeah can you talk about you mentioned that you largely don't identify as an activist but you do identify more as an ally like what do you view as the difference between Mm. those two terms yeah i don't know i think maybe an activist 
for me is more involved. I, I think I use the word strategic, but does more of the sort of organizing um, work that like you're doing a good job of doing. I think that's more activist work. Um, it's like a sort of a leadership versus leadership following. Position. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Um, and I'm by and large, you know, not, you know, with the exception of feminism, I'm not personally affected by a lot of these things that I'm interested in, in showing up for. Um, I'm, I'm never going to be on the receiving end of racism in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you, learning how to foreground the voices that are, that are, that have been in the fight and that are most oppressed, I think is, is the goal of the ally. Um, the activists, I, I, I don't know if anyone else agrees with this definition, but yeah, to, in my mind is, is more of a, is more of a leader. leadership. It's yeah. like leadership versus follower. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah. And I don't think like in Black Lives Matter, I don't think I should be an activist leader. Like it, that, that should be a person of color. Yeah, it's interesting. So I, I like have like some some like initial frictions. I'd love to hear like your guys' thoughts on this. I mean, I um, I think a lot of times the way the word ally is used and expectations around it like don't land very well with me. Like, I think there is a really important role for people to follow rather than lead. And like, there's like a certainly times. I mean, like the Standing Rock example, and you're like you're a guest in someone else's home. Like you're on their land fighting their fight with context that you know almost nothing about, you know, exactly. you're coming as an outsider, like, that's a great time to say, like, huh, maybe I should take the follower role, you know, put the follower hat on, you know, like, that's, like, that very much resonates with me. So, like, it's not that everyone should equally always try to lead at all times. That would be very silly. Um, on the other hand, I feel like a lot of times when white folks, like, which I sort of, I guess, identify as or get identified as or whatever, like, mm-hmm. hear that on a whole subset of issues, their role is limited to ally. And I guess, like, I'll mm-hmm. speak for myself. Like, that doesn't quite resonate for, I think, a few reasons. Like, one is that, like, I think just if we're thinking about, like, getting to, like, to better, if we're actually thinking about solving the problem, like, I think, by and large, we need, like, more leadership, not less. And I think, like, people's like energy in a leadership sense is important if we're thinking about like the leading versus following thing Mm -hmm. um and the thing is like i i saw um uh uh actually ta-nehisi coates put this in a way that i thought was really interesting and resonated with me like he talked about um someone asked him a question about the same topic and he said like he doesn't like like the term ally a lot because it presumes a certain distance from the issue like oh like that's over there and I'm just sort of on the sidelines cheering as opposed mm-hmm. to like, we are all part of this like problem. And it's like on all of us to, to lead the way. I'm not sure it's exactly how he said it, but mm-hmm. like, but there's no distance from it. Like it's, we're all part of it. Right. Um, if one of us suffers. Yeah. All of us suffer. So I think it's a complex thing, but, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I just wanted to like show those reflections and, and see sort of where, how that landed for you guys. I think there's a lot of activism that I could do probably within my own affinity group. And this, this might already be happening, but in the conversations that I have with people that aren't, I mean, there is distance for me. There's just like black lives matter. It's just, I'm never, I'm never going to be, you know, the object of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's fine. I shouldn't be. Um, but I do think there's opportunities to lead um, among your, like um, among your friends, among your affinity group to, this kind of goes back to the social network point that you were making earlier to kind of pull people into it, to make them start paying attention um, to activate them. But yeah, when it comes to especially identity politics stuff, it's really hard for me to imagine playing a leadership role if I'm not, you know, the affected, you know, persecuted minority. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's difficult for me. Yeah, but I just yeah, I think I it's should. like yeah, I think it's a little from my perspective, it's a little more situational. Mm-hmm. Like I think, um, I think like it. So becoming like a leader on any issue, like whether it's like spirituality work or like ex political issue or whatever, like requires like nobody just like hands you a leadership thing like that requires like you have to build credibility amongst like a group of people like you need followers to be a leader so like Mm. so it's not that like anyone should just get to be a leader but i think like and it is true that i think most times on issues of like racial justice and like black lives matter like that's going to be black folks like that makes a ton of sense right um but i think like i don't know i just feel like interested in sort of like a more open, expansive definition of leadership that's, like, more about, like, people, like, putting in their time and building credibility and, like, building a following that you need to be a leader and, like, sort of, like, setting the ceiling, like, higher for what, like, everyone can do rather than, like, I think sometimes the way the ally issue is framed, it sort of feels like it sets the ceiling a little lower. Like, hey, like, no matter how much you care, how hard you try on this, like, you're only ever going to be 
a follower. Like you're never going to lead on this issue because you're not the one being oppressed. And I just, I don't know. It just doesn't, I totally respect that point of view. I understand where it comes from. Like, mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't, it, it still doesn't, doesn't quite resonate with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. I, 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 I can definitely, I resonate with like both what you guys are saying. You have to pick one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a binary. Yeah, one side yeah, or the yeah, other. No. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I think um, it does, yeah, it does make me feel a little uncomfortable. Like, and I, you know, I think there's different people will use the term ally and hold it a little differently, right? Um, but in times where I have seen it almost used as a way to, it almost feels to me sometimes it's used as a way to take away like someone's voice and like to say like, like, due to maybe, you know, like the color of your skin or, you know, life experiences, like you, you, your opinion is not like very important here. Um, um, and I know that's not always the case, um, but the times that I have seen that it, uh, yeah, something about it that just doesn't sit well with me. Um, even if, if that is in service of a cause that I really believe in or pushing a moment movement forward. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a, I, I but I, I totally see the other side and like, I don't know. I think I think it's a it's a very interesting issue to to kind of be chewing over, and I don't know if there's any clear like right answers. Um, I do love that more and more people are talking about this right now, and 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 when I see people discussing this, I, I see a lot of people like kind of discussing like how can I best help, how can I best be involved, and how can I think we're all like discussing different ways that we all want to push the same goals and the same movements yeah. forward. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of exci excited to see like how this conversation and these and these definitions and these roles will continue to evolve. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah it mean, seems like a live conversation. Uh -huh. um, I, I was reading uh, Roxanne Gay's Bad Feminist, mm -hmm. and she she talks about um, the privilege privilege Olympics, I believe. The idea uh, that, you know, you, you can only say something if you are the most underprivileged person in the room is totally mm. bogus. Mm. So I think, I think uh, when I say ally, it's not that you're not speaking up or, or, or playing what might even be perceived to be a leadership position. It's that you're also, like, saving some space for, for others to speak up as well. Mm. Um, yeah, because it's, it's bogus. Like, no, one, no one's opinion is invalidated because of their identity. Um, but we should try also to like lift up the voices of those most affected and yeah, amplify totally. them. Yeah, no, I, I agree entirely with that. And I think that one, one frame that really resonates for me is, I'm not sure if you use this word, but I would, and what you're talking about is like the idea of humility, mm -hmm. like for all of us, just like approaching all of these issues and like the people we talk with, like with humility and with curiosity, with like an openness and like a wanting to learn. I think like all of us sometimes get caught in like feeling like, we know the answer. We know the answer. Right, like we right. know what we're doing, especially like people that have like gone to fancy colleges and like they've you know, been successful in a lot of things we've done with our life. I think it's really easy for us. And I'll speak first person, like for myself sometimes to, to lose a little bit of a sense of humility in these issues that I'm working on. But I think when, for me, when I can try to catch that more um, and like hum yeah, humility and curiosity, I think are the two words that, um, that I think, from like this conversations and other conversations we have this, I try to like imbue a little more in like my day to day like life and worldview. Um, yeah, I like curiosity. I like yeah, humility. yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Everybody pick one. We're <laughs> gonna have to fight on this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's that's a good one. I mean, I think something that I found very liberating as we're like navigating these times, which are like very charged with identity politics, and mm. um, every time you think you're doing something right, you know, someone's gonna call you out, and you're not doing it right, or you're not being a good ally. That it really feels like there is a, a culture of that right now, and like mm -hmm. especially in social media. But yeah. one of the things that I found super liberating was that it's okay. Like I don't need to bite my tongue because I'm worried about misstepping. Mm -hmm. I, I should say what I'm going to say, but just be willing to say I'm sorry. Like that mm -hmm. is ugh, so much weight off my back. Yeah, it's great. That's it. Uh, what that's like um, yeah yeah that's that's difficult, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's especially with like charged issues to sort of have like an open like non-defensive mm -hmm. approach, right? Right. And I think as another part of humility is I think it's important, like when you are self-expressing something, when you are sharing something, like I think to hold, even as you're sharing it and, and maybe something you have a lot of conviction about, but to hold like, hey, like this is my opinion. This is like my best guess at this, like from my experience. And I'm open to that changing. I'm open to that expanding. And like, yeah, like I, I, I it, it heartens me when I see people express something and they, and they also hold it with almost this Lightness is not the right word, but almost like a kind of a flexibility there. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. and and it's almost like an invitation to like you know share your experience with me help me grow this understanding you know mm -hmm. i really enjoy that yeah i'm curious how you also think about like i know something that's um been important for you is is like really fighting hard the issues you care about but also like all three of us have talked at different times about like finding ways to like build bridges like across mm. the divide with people who, mm. who uh, lots of large portions of the conversation they wouldn't resonate with, right? right? I'm curious like how you're thinking about that now, like on the one hand, trying to like fight really hard for things you believe in and on the other hand, like do it with an openness and curiosity. Mm, I'm going to just say, I don't think I'm doing a very good job. <laughs> like uh, Humility. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, uh, I don't know. And I'm curious <laughs> why you would say that. <laughs> I, I felt very strongly after the election that I had two things that I really needed to work on. One was speaking up when it was important, uh, not not being afraid of getting pushback from my Republican family. Can we show the eagle? Probably not. Yeah, there's yes. an eagle, American eagle above us. Okay. <laughs> very large American eagle. Yeah, just pretty uh, sweet. Yes, and that's pretty much par for the course around here. Um but yeah, I mean, I definitely shied away from having those really difficult conversations with the people whose, in my my opinion, minds needed to be changed on a lot of things. Mm. Um, and I have access to that community because because that's my family. Um, so in some ways, I'm like not really in the bubble, but I, I'm I'm in multiple bubbles uh, <laughs> <laughs> all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, but and I really felt like I needed to to say something. Uh, to, like it's, I viewed a lot of our dinner interactions as teachable moments, hmm. and that's kind of patronizing now that I'm hearing myself say it. Um, but at the same time, I also need to to learn how to empathize, to, uh, how to like listen to people, and I'm I'm really struggling find, to find the balance between the two to be empathetic and to speak my mind when I think it's important. Yeah. Um, I don't really have a solution to this yet. I feel like um, instead of finding that beautiful middle path, I'm just swinging one way or the other. Like I am like <laughs> raging radical. I mean, that's like exactly what I think. And I'm like over empathizing and like, yeah. Do you have any like any like like small wins or like little tactics you've used with your family that have like helped to like bridge the divide a little bit at different times, or is it mostly just been not gratifying so far? Um, so I guess this is kind of like in any conflict, like looking for areas in which you like looking for the consensus points and building from that. Yeah. Um, mm. So you know, there's let's see here. I mean, so Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump uh, on free trade. Like there's there's definitely you know, some consensus that we can start with from there mm. uh, and maybe get, you know, people on both sides of the aisle to like agree to, I don't know what, maybe it's you, you don't like the exploitation of workers uh, in, uh, in Mexico. Maybe you want to protect American jobs. We have like two different goals there, but the, the action is the same. So um, yeah, that, I've leveraged, you know, issues like that, but there's, you know, there are other things that, you know, we're just not going to see eye to eye on like abortion rights and stuff like that. I don't yeah. know where the where the like moment of agreement is the the kernel of agreement that I can start with is on that. Yeah, those can be tough. Yeah, that's really hard. Yeah, do you have any? Do you have any hot tips? I mean, I think the the points of agreement is 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 I think like the most important. And I also think like helping folks. Like I just think this is our challenge, right? Like anytime someone feels like you're coming at them with an attack, like yeah. they're gonna shut down, and that's just true in all aspects. Of, that's not a political thing. That's just a human thing. Mm -hmm. And so, right? Yeah, it's like that. I mean, it's just the thing we're all struggling with to like on one hand, like call out problematic beliefs and behaviors for what they are, and on the other hand, not accuse people mm -hmm. of being a certain way, of being negative people or bad people, like um, in a way that will just cause them to totally shut down and walk away from the conversational table when what we need are, are more of those like messy, complicated dialogues. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like you talked about earlier, like the power of listening. Mm -hmm. Like Bad I find, yeah, I mean, I, I find like in a lot of these conversations, like I can feel myself like wanting to like push my views and like, here's my view. No, no, no. You need to, you need to hear where I'm coming from. And like, I'm trying more and more to be, I mean, to hold that space for, like, expressing what I, I think is important to me, but, like, really, like, also being curious about the other person and, like, mm -hmm. like where are your views coming from and, like, and what – and maybe let's say I disagree with, like, their the, their ideas, but, I, but I, I'm finding myself trying to be more and more curious about, like, what is forming those ideas? Not getting too stuck on the level of, like, oh, so we disagree, like, let's say on immigration or something, but, like, can I understand, like – what has led to them having these beliefs and, like, just, mm -hmm. just kind of understand how they formed um, – and yeah, not like make an enemy out of the person, like yeah. in the process, like being okay with disagreeing and not having to like make that personal, not having to make 
make me hate the other person for it. Right. That's like the the deep story, the deep narrative. That, yeah. Uh, was it uh, Arlie Hochstrauss? Yeah, yeah. 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 I heard about that on on this awesome podcast that I listened to. It's great. It's two dudes with their, their feelings. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Two guys, mm-hmm, perhaps. Two guys, yeah. yeah, a lot of feelings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, awesome. it's funny. I mean, yeah, curiosity is definitely the way to lead. I guess when you're in conflict with people. Yeah. I find myself sometimes performing curiosity and it really grosses me out. Performing. Yeah, like I'm tra- I'm going to try to like lead you to where I'm where I want you to be. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Manipulating and, and using I know, it's using up. curiosity and humility as weapons. Yeah. 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 Oh, really? Tell me more. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to flip you on this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I find myself doing that too it's sometimes like in some ways I'm almost manipulatively like being vulnerable or like or something to like get you to like open up to me. <laughs> like yeah. I'm going to do this to get you to open up like <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think like everything in life, like always, like better when you could, like comes from like a genuine place. It'll right. be more effective when it comes to a genuine place. But sometimes, <laughs> in all aspects of life, we've just got to fake it a little bit. To right. Yeah, it. that's so true. Awesome. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, thanks for for being part of our first interview yeah, with our first you. guest with feelings. And now, are you ready to move on to our rapid fire quick picks? I think so. Let's do it. Ready or not, it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So moving on to the quick picks. Gabriel Rose, what is your first quick pick? So my first quick pick, which I already spoiled. Uh, so <laughs> this is probably a dumb one because everyone else other than me had already seen it. But you know, the People versus OJ, you gotta watch it. So good. It's so good. Um, and like, there's a few reasons I think like everyone needs to watch this show. Well, one, it's now free on Netflix. I made the mistake of paying for it like a month before it became free, but <laughs> it's free on Netflix, so there's no excuse. Two, it's just a great television show. Um, three, like, I actually think it has, um, like, for those of us who are a little too young during the OJ thing to really, like, remember a lot of the details, it is crazy. It's such <laughs> it's a crazy so case. crazy. I mean, it's just, like, it's the only analogy I have for it is, like, the current, like, election and, like, Donald yeah. Trump insanity. It's, like, it's just, like, impossible to believe that it really happened, but it did really happen in these, like, t- so, like, the, just, like, the interesting like sort of like mind-blowing like entertainment and like sort of political like cultural value of like that story is like huge and it was like such a tremendously important thing to happen and the last thing i'll say is like i found i wanted to find time to write a blog post about this but i found a lot of interesting like lessons in there about Mm. the power of narrative and like the importance of narrative and like the challenge of like telling telling a story through like facts and figures versus like sort of like broader, more ambitious, like emotional narratives that I think is, is very relevant to our present day uh, challenges uh, in terms of the Trump phenomenon. Yeah. I I love that show as well. Yeah. I just finished it like last week. Um, And I mean, and, and there's parts of the show, the show is really well done, really well acted. There's parts of the show that, I think the parts that, that annoyed me a little, like there's a lot of times where they'll wink at the camera. Like they'll be yeah. like, you remember this line? Like, yeah. um, wink, wink. Like, um, but like, you, you know, you'll have like Johnny Cochran, like writing, like on, you know, notepad, oh, like the glove must, if the glove doesn't fit, you must, oh, what is the word? Like, you know, just had to do yeah, that. Yeah, though, of course, right? of course. Yeah, but there's, like, a of, yeah. there's a lot of, there's a lot of moments like that. Can't resist But that. like aside from that, and those were kind of fun, like yeah. I'll admit it. But like, aside from that, like um, I was like really impressed with the show and like, when I was watching it, it was really interesting for me. Like every episode, like I would Google like with this episode, like what actually happened. Yeah, yeah, and like, it's same. amazing how yeah. much of that, like you're like, oh, this was a batshit insane, so insane crazy. trial. Yeah. Like, yeah, it has yeah. so much relevance for like everything we're still dealing with now. I mean, it's so, yeah, it's a very timely relevant show. Yeah. And slightly related to that, I just started watching this other documentary that came out at the same time, or a, a documentary that came out at the same time by 30 for 30. Yeah. ESPN. Made in America. Yeah, called yeah. OJ Made in America. Yeah. And it's like amazing. 13 episode documentary about OJ. And apparently it's supposed to be amazing. I just watched the first episode. It was, it was great. And you're wondering the whole time, you're like, how do they get this footage? Like, mm-hmm. it's it's incredible and really explores, you know, OJ, race, like everything on like this really deep level. So... It's great, great quick pick. Have you, have you seen it yet, Alex? So I saw the first uh, episode of the 30 for 31. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the archival footage from USC. I didn't realize he was such a phenomenon. Like, but I only knew OJ in the context of, of like... the murder. Of the murder. Yeah, 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 of course. And, like, and the so, Naked yeah. Gun yeah. series. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know that. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah I mean, what? yeah, I, I need to do more more research, more... Uh, you should, you should check out the show. Yeah, yeah I know. I'm going to love yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Um, okay, so this is kind of a departure for the guys with feelings. Um, but I'm going to talk to the ladies and maybe the men that love them um, <laughs> or want to have sex with them. 
I want to recommend IUDs, specifically the non-hormonal IUD. Uh, IUD is an interuterine device. Uh, Preach. Preach. It's permanent. <laughs> it's not. It's not permanent, but it's it's removable birth control. Um, it allows you to get off the pill. Uh, it's like 99% effective. The one that I have is the copper one. It's going to last for 10 years. I don't have to think about taking a pill every day because I was really bad at that. I like, I miss my pills all the time. I like end up taking like four pills because I miss like the last four days. It's incredible. I don't have a baby. Uh, Very knock on wood. Knock on wood. Um, But uh, yeah, I'm loving my IUD. Um, Sexuality is already so fraught. Mm. And then to add the pressure that all women feel, maybe not all, that's universalizing, but many, many women feel the, the, um, the fear of like having a child uh, just makes it that much more fraught. Right. So this takes that off the table. Um, Again, you don't have to think about it. You don't have to put a hormone in your body every single day. I was really curious what um, what Alex Zobel, not on birth control, would be like. Um, she's okay. <laughs> Did you experience some like personality shifts? I didn't. I was actually really surpri- um, really surprised and grateful for that. I was mm. worried that I would go off um, the hormonal pill and discover that like oh like my those feelings weren't me at all. Um, so I'm glad to know that you know for me. My twenties weren't weren't just weren't a lie. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Hormonal fueled. Yeah. Yeah. Hormonal fueled uh-huh. lie. <laughs> so yeah, I definitely would recommend the IUD. Um, yeah, it's great. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Like great practical advice that yep. a lot of people mm-hmm. could use. Also, HPV vaccine, even if you're over twenty six. Get it. Yeah. Get it now, kids. Get it. Not yeah. kids. <laughs> and also, um, I actually helped produce a video for Planned Parenthood on the IUD. Nice. So if you want to check it out, go to youtube.com slash whatever the Planned Parenthood yeah. thing I'm Somehow I'm the only one on guys with feelings. There's nothing to say about IUDs. My mom's like a, a midwife. Yeah, they're like, they seem like a good idea. I endorse. There we go. Awesome. Cool. So for my quick pick, um, I actually want to uh, just give a quick defense of Facebook. Wow. <laughs> I know this is a controversial topic. Um, I feel like it's very popular for people to just like hate on Facebook. And I get it, right? Like you open it up. It's designed to just suck you in. You see a lot of bullshit from people in high school that you just didn't care about anymore. Um, so, okay, I get it. But there's actually a lot of awesome things about Facebook, too. Um one of the things is, you know, if your feed sucks, you can curate it. You know, like that that guy who, who posts him always doing stupid stuff and talking about getting, you know, bottles at, at the restaurant or whatever. You can just unfollow him or you can even click a button that says less posts from this D-bag. Um, and when you see posts that inspire you, that, that give you great information, like you can like that and you'll see more of it. And like I've been doing that for, I would say, like the last year or two and like, I love my Facebook feed. It's like 90% wow. pretty awesome. Words like, you don't hear very often. Right? It's yeah. like from, I, I'm getting lots of interesting input from like creative and spiritual and deep people and people I like and my close friends. And like, it feels like, I feel like happy when I, when I see my feed, you know, it feels like it's, it's enriching for me. Um, another thing is Facebook groups can be super helpful. Like I said on the last podcast, I've been struggling with hypothyroidism and I've actually like a lot of the gains I've made and progress has been from joining like thyroid groups on Facebook that like other people are sharing information, sharing resources, like helpful stuff. Um, a lot of the spiritual like work I've been doing, there's there's always like a Facebook group for it and you find like-minded people to like talk and explore things with. Um, Facebook groups have actually been a huge part of like my growth the last few years and and just take the word Facebook out of it. Like they're just basically the new forums, you know, yeah. like where you go to message boards. They're the new message boards. Um, if you're interested in a topic, if you're learning something, I encourage you to like just see if there's a cool Facebook group for it out there and you can kind of get inspiration from other people. Um, and the last thing I'll say, people talk a lot of shit about Messenger. I think Messenger is pretty dope. Like um, for someone who is pretty nomadic and I traveled and moved around a lot and I was meeting a lot of people, but I didn't have everyone's phone number. I wasn't constantly being, oh, can I get your number? Can, can you know, let's, let's text. Like, but if people have Messenger, like you have the instant ability to just text with people that you don't even, you know, you didn't have to, you don't have their number per, per se. And like for traveling, that was indispensable. Um, for this world of community that I'm living in now in San Francisco, or like I'm meeting a lot of awesome community people, it's just, it's become the same thing as texting someone and just as reliable, sometimes even more so. Um, and it shows you when people read your messages and things like that. It, I find it um, to be pretty great. And uh, yeah, so in defense of Facebook, 
I rest my case. <laughs> wow. Swimming against the tide. <laughs> or go. with the tide. I'm yeah. clear. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And one last thing that I'll say and, and is that it can also be a great place to ask questions or to share things. Like for me, this past year has been um, a huge thing of me, like finding my voice and expressing myself. And like Facebook has been a great place for me to put things out and like get support and get people like, like, I don't know. Yeah. Just like such, yeah. Kind support and, and help. Um, and I've seen actually Gabe, like ask a lot of questions on Facebook and like get like some really interesting answers, right? Like what was, yeah, what yeah. was something you asked recently? Yeah. I will say like, I am definitely more of a Facebook hater. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like, I like, I'm, I'm like, sort of considering your arguments uh <laughs> but like i have recently been like crowdsourcing a lot more stuff on facebook i like really wanted to just like start learning like the very basics of philosophy i feel like i like for a bunch of reasons um and i just like posted something i was like hey like does anyone have any recommendations for like learning like philosophy like just like 101 basics i was dumb i didn't take any classes in college like where should i start and i thought like either nobody would answer or somebody would tell me that was a dumb question to ask <laughs> and i got amazing responses yeah. like really really good resources and so now i'm like uh, yeah, now I more frequently like, crowdsource stuff on Facebook. And it's really useful. Yeah. You can't really do the same with Twitter unless you have like a million yeah, followers. Yeah. And even then I would be a little skeptical. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's like a unique resource for that can be helpful at times. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Sweet. In defense of Facebook. Um, okay. So my second quick pick um, is going to be uh, morning routines. Or at least like light morning routines. Mm -hmm. So I recently... Um, I always like wanted the morning routine. Like it seemed like something that like smart, successful people did. It's like, I should have a morning routine, but it also just seemed like too hard and difficult. Like every time I heard people like describe their morning routines on like Tim Ferriss show or other places, like it always just seemed like really complicated. And there's like seven steps in a row. And I was like, yeah, I'm just not gonna like, my days are all really different. I have the dog. It's just like, not like gonna like work out that way for me. So I sort of like didn't try, but, um, like eventually I was like, oh, like using like our sort of like lower barriers to entry, like start with like something easy approach. I realized like I could have a morning routine. I just needed to make it like really, really simple and not very complicated to do. And so like my new morning routine I've been doing for a few weeks now is it's rule based. My rule is I have to meditate for at least three minutes and journal for huh. at least three minutes before I check my email. Ooh. Yeah, I like and this. it's like it's been really nice like it's really shifted something for me to like because like sometimes that literally like i won't do it for three hours like huh. one day like i didn't check my email all day and like <laughs> so i just never like i never got around to meditating journaling so i just never checked my email like it's not like it always like happens in a certain way but um it's like for me like email is the part of the day where like where your mind starts like sort of like latching on to a gazillion yeah. thoughts and going a million miles a minute and consuming itself with all these like tiny mostly meaningless tasks that like distract you from like the bigger deeper like work or thinking you want to do and so like pushing that off until i've at least done like some like little things like center and ground myself um has really uh, felt like an important shift for me that's awesome every time i think about doing like adopting a routine it's always way too ambitious it's <laughs> yeah like, i'm gonna write for three hours before i check my email yeah, right but three minutes is so doable yeah i love that no just easy yeah. as possible yeah. like my friend like christina is a total bass and she's like oh yeah i've been doing morning routines too i do like 45 minutes of morning pages <laughs> and then i go for like an hour long run because i'm training for a marathon and i'm just like Dude, you're a badass. Like, I can't do that. Yeah. 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 That's, a, that's a really good point. Like, uh, I would say, like, the, yeah, the most successful way to, like, get a new habit or routine going is just make the barrier for entry as low as possible. And literally, like, yeah, I'm going to do two minutes of meditation. That's still two minutes more than you were doing before. That is still helpful. And, like, don't think of it, like, as just, like, oh, that, you know, two minutes is not – it would have been so much better as 15. Think of it as, like, you, like, getting the habit in motion. Like, that's just as important, maybe more important than the actual two minutes yeah. you're doing. Mm -hmm. And if you keep doing it, like, pretty soon you'll be up – you might be up to five soon. <laughs> maybe up to ten, Gabe. Crazy, yeah. Some Crazy. days I just sit there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's so, awesome. That's, that's my awesome. pitch. Great. Well, uh, I'm going to – I'm going to recommend something in particular, and then I'm going to generalize it. Um, I want to recommend the poetry of Nayira Wahid. My uh, best friend, Alex Madsen, recommended her to me. It's amazing. If I could generalize, though, accessible poetry in general is something I am, shockingly, just now starting to explore. Um, and I, I love it. It's great. I think my relationship with poetry was like, oh, the harder, the better. Like, the more work you have to put into it, the mm. more you're going to get out of it. And that's, um, it, there is a lot of fulfillment in that kind of like difficult approach to poetry, but, um, you're not going to, uh, you're not going to, you know, create a bunch of poetry readers by throwing like metaphysical 17th century poetry at them. 
Um, not, not me. Not you. <laughs> I've been trying, but it's yeah, not yeah, yeah. <laughs> Probably not Jamin either. Probably not Jamin. Um, Nayir Wahid's work is great. Every, like most of the poems are tiny. Um, they're like, you know, maybe six to eight lines long. Um, they are generally pretty square, so they're easily consumed on the internet. I've seen her stuff on like Tumblr and Facebook and uh, Instagram. Um, but it's it's so much easier to bring poetry into your everyday life if it's accessible like that, mm. if it's um, consumable in smaller little bits. Uh, the imagery is just as powerful, but it's simple. It's like one image dominates the whole poem. Um, huh. It also helps that she's talking about a lot of these political identity issues that I've been thinking a lot about lately. Interesting. Yeah. It, so I've always wanted to like get into poetry and dabble in it. <laughs> and it's just, it's like never clicked for me. Um, is there like a book of hers you recommend that would be like great? Salt. Yeah. Salt. Yeah. Salt. It's beautiful. I should have brought it down with me. It's upstairs. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll put it in the show notes. We'll put it in the show mm-hmm. notes. How do you spell her name? Uh, <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes. We'll put it in the we'll show notes. We'll say the name one more time. Nayira Wahid. Okay. Yeah. And are there like other poets in addition to her that are like known as like accessible poets? Is there like a list that like? Mm, I don't have a list, but like Billy Collins is pretty accessible. Um, yeah. I don't know. Oh, um, Mary Oliver. Mary Oliver's great. Uh, but I would have to think about it. I could I could compile a little list for the show notes. Yeah, I just feel like in general, like this is like I think I feel the same way as Jamie. I think a lot of people feel this way. Like always been like, oh, poetry. Like I should like explore that, but it it mm-hmm. doesn't feel accessible. And so like I feel like if you were ever called to do it, just like finding more forums to share this more consistently, maybe a like accessible poetry newsletter or blogging, or, right? <laughs> just Ooh. like because like you're so deep in this, like you're finding the best stuff, and like mm-hmm. you could curate stuff like this for a broader audience that could help them be sort of the bridge into poetry i love that idea yeah Yeah. even just on my social media accounts more yeah yeah totally yeah i think one of the things i loved about salt is that it's 250 pages long it's like 250 poems i read it in a night like like an hour and a half flew through it didn't Hmm. like didn't dwell too hard on like any individual poem and that's okay it doesn't have to consume all of your time and the stuff that speaks out to you will speak out to you immediately and you'll come back to it it's almost like you have a chemistry with a poem and uh, yeah, that that book was very well uh, dog-eared when I was done with it. That's nice. awesome. It's great. Nice, cool. I'd also like to throw in a quick poet recommendation from mm-hmm. someone who doesn't read poetry. <laughs> but I was at, at my house, did a little show and tell, and two of my housemates read um, poems by this. We have a woman named Andrea Gibson. Mm. Um, I don't know much about her, but it seems like she talks about a lot of LGBTQ issues, mm-hmm. maybe intersectional feminism. Um, and her poems were, were powerful and they're funny at times and really touching. And, um, and yeah, like I, I was like, I need to, I need to read more. Um, and you just reminded me this might be a good entryway. Nice. So. Usually like a whole poetry podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Guys with poetry. Guys yeah, yeah. with poetry. <laughs> awesome. Spin off. Cool. All right. So for my last quick pick, um, I actually want to recommend, um, Olympic rings um, and <laughs> for like like the five ring like the NBC logo. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> uh, so so I've been doing workouts. Um, so 